love history but hate when it's stuffy and boring? Well, look no further and join me, Katie Charlwood, your friend the neighborhood social scientist and reader of books, as I delve into unsolved historical mysteries, murders by gaslight, and of course, women who have been misrepresented through all time. On Who Did What Now, the history podcast that's not your history class. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. If you like this podcast, can we recommend another one? It's called Big Picture Science. You can hear it wherever you get your podcasts, and its name tells part of the story. The big picture questions and the most interesting research in science. Seth and I are the hosts. Seth is a scientist. I am Molly, and I'm a science journalist. And we talk to people smarter than us, and we have fun along the way. The show is called Big Picture Science, and as Seth said, you can hear it wherever you get your podcasts. What follows may not be suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. The world is full of stories. Stories of mysteries. Of curiosities. Of oddities. Join Kat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth for the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected as they lift the lid and cautiously peer inside the Box of Oddities. Previously on the Box of Oddities. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if, if you've been following the yeah. drama that is Carrie and Becky, um, you are caught up. But in case uh, you're not, uh, so... Uh, Becky wrote in to us about her linguistic quirks, and uh, she told a story of the time that she asked a bartender for Labite's ass, meaning Labat's ice, and uh, follow up, we got an email from a girl named Carrie, and Carrie was like, oh my god, Becky. Becky and I used to hang all the time, and she was a blast. We had so much fun. I've been looking for my friend for years. And then we talked about that email, and then Becky wrote us and was like, oh, my God, Carrie knows me. And <laughs> So we get this whole thing. And, yeah, so um, Becky wrote us, I just listened to the podcast where you're talking about my old friend Carrie trying to find me. I have thought of her so many times over the years, but you never really know how to find someone. I've been on Facebook for only a few years. It's under my married name, and it's been almost 20 years since I've seen or talked to her. And for the record, she was the crazy one that led me <laughs> into many adventures. Uh -huh. um, I did find her on Facebook. We are both in the Box of Oddities group. Isn't that hilarious? Thank you so much. I've added you to my bucket list to see one of your shows. Please keep doing what you're doing because you do it well. Um, that is magic. And the fact that Carrie was actually on Facebook the week before she heard the podcast looking for her friend, that must seem like the most remarkable coincidence ever. Again, stories keep coming in about these coincidences that are happening in people's lives that uh, have to do with the box of oddities. It's really, it's it's fun to watch. Thank you so much for sharing your stories with us and uh, your, and, and reuniting. Reunited and it feels so good. Reunited. That's enough. Uh. <laughs> Seriously, I was on the, the road, and of course I don't check my email when I'm driving no, because no. I am a safe motorist. And uh, so Jay calls me and is like, listen to this. <laughs> <laughs> and I just started screaming. I was like, no, that's so cool. <laughs> <laughs> 
Thanks for sharing those stories with us, you guys. And the and the fact that they were both members of the uh, Freaks group on Facebook and didn't know it is hilarious. It's unreal. And they hadn't seen each other for 20 years. Crazy. Um, do you want to give a shout out to our admin, Sam? Uh, he takes such good care of our Freaks, a box of oddities group on Facebook, and is constantly on point. I just, I, every once in a while, I'll see a slew of things that Sam has been able to to manage and take care of and approve. And I'm yeah. just, that kid. Woo. Yeah. Golf clap for Sam. All right. I go first. Here Yay! we go. Here we go. Here we go now. The internets. Yeah. I've heard of it. The interwebbles. The Googs machine. Yeah. The Google machine. The internet is made up of different levels. This we know. Some claim as many as eight different levels. I don't know what you mean by levels. Some say five. What we know for sure is that there are three levels on the internet. The first is the surface web. This is according to Ranker. This is where I buy my things. Yes. This is the web where there are pages that are indexed that you can find. You can publicly search for websites like uh, YouTube and Facebook. Got it. Uh, they all exist on the surface web. Then there's the deep web. And that is, these are websites that are um, not publicly viewed or viewable, or indexed, so you can't search for them and find them unless you know they're there. For example, uh, your private bank account website or credit card accounts. People can't just type your name in and get your credit card account. Well, okay. unless they're hackers or something. These are legal sites. Mm -hmm. They aren't sinister in any way. They're not. Uh, it's just, you know. They're just private things. Banking and accounting and stuff like that. It's it's the underwear drawer of the internet. <laughs> yes. Government agencies also store non-searchable private information on the deep web. And then there's the dark web. Ah, yes. I've heard talk of this. The dark web. It's a smaller portion of the deep web. It's intentionally hidden. It's completely private and its users are not traceable. So if you were to use it to log, if you were to log on uh, and any actions that you took on the dark web, for the most part, are completely hidden. So a quick question. Does it just mean that it's uh, sites that you cannot access by like regular search engines? But if you typed in, let's say, uh, www darkwebbypage.com <laughs> yeah. that it would bring you there? Or is there no. some sort of level of getting through? Yes, there are several browsers, special browsers. The Tor browser is um, a popular one, T-O-R. Oh. Uh, what else? Uh, Subgraph OS is used. Waterfox is another one. Oh, so instead of like Firefox, it's, it's Water Waterfox. Yeah. Got it, got it, got it. ISP Invisible Internet Project is another. There, there are a bunch of them. You can you can you can do a Google search to find what dark web browsers are are most popular. Sure, for sure, that makes sense. You, you can do that. Facebook has a presence on the dark web. There's a lot of dark, sinister things there, but Facebook has a presence, and it's used in regions uh, where open thought and communication are forbidden. Yeah. So, like a North Korea kind of thing. Yeah. Possibly. Yeah. Not judging. 
just asking. Right. My guess is probably that would be a a ripe area for dark web sure. users. It's a place that uh, journalists, uh, human right advocates, uh, social activists can communicate and share information freely without the interference of oppressive uh, governmental powers. Got it. Um, it's also known for the Silk Road. This is where people trade all kinds of criminal goods and services. They they shut it down, it comes back. They shut it down, it comes back. So it's kind of like the uh, spice road. Yeah, right. It's what's the what the freaking frack am I thinking of? The spice road. The Silk Road and the spice uh, spice route. Spice caravan. Uh, right. Yeah. Sp- it, that's what it's named after. Spicy road. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. Yeah. This is a place like, you know, the Silk Road, for example, this is a place where people trade all kinds of criminal goods and services. That's where you can get your Gatlin gun. That's where you could get a Gatlin gun, I'm sure, if that's what you wanted. Assassinations. Oh. You can uh, you can put a hit on somebody, allegedly. Extreme pornographic stuff. Extreme. Um, <laughs> illicit drugs. Uh-huh. Sure. Stolen guns. There's a pro-stealthing forum there. Stealthing is um, it's, it's a disturbing act of sexual violence where a man secretly removes a condom during intercourse. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Spend a few minutes on uh, the pro-stealthing forum, according to Ranker, and uh, you may lose your faith in humanity. Um, These online communities, male posters vehemently declare their right to unprotected sex. Some posters even claim that if women get pregnant via stealthing, it's their fault and they deserve it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, I saw a post on regular old Facebook today about how Female entitlement is claiming that you have a headache to get out of sex. Oh, you know, sure. You know, when okay. in reality, uh, you, you piece of shit, are pretty <laughs> entitled if you think you're entitled to sex in the first place. And a woman should just be able to go, nah, and be done with it rather than having to pretend that she's ill. Right. And I'm guessing most people who would write that sort of thing probably don't have sex frequently. You don't have sex anyway. Yeah. Here's an interesting site on the dark web, Assassination Market. That's actually one of the most commonly sought after topics on the deep web or the dark web. Um, It relates to hitmen and assassins. But here's a really chilling example of the assassination uh, market. Users add names of their targets to the market's roster. Other users then contribute to the murder fund via bitcoins. It's kind of like a, a Kickstarter for murder. Oh, but they use bitcoins? They use bitcoins. Now, so to... it's not real. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Predi- just kidding. I just don't understand it. That's now, all. <laughs> predictions are made regarding when the victim will die. Oh, God, that's terrible. And the lucky person who makes the closest prediction takes home a hefty pool of bitcoins as his reward. Wow. I've heard of death pools before, but yeah. that's, you know, just for funsies. Yeah. There are forums for cannibals. All right. There's one for cute dead guys. It's a forum dedicated to sharing photos and videos of attractive young men who are dead. Okay. Yeah. They're not sharing their own photos, though. Well, no, because so. they are dead. Yeah. yeah. Unless one of them, like, a guy's into the idea of people thinking he's dead, like, that's his thing. And so he, like, dresses up like <laughs> sure. he's dead, yeah. puts a little makeup on. He's like, look at this guy. He's hot, right? <laughs> you don't do this dead guy. Hmm? Yeah. <laughs> There are communities that are, quote, pro-Anna. 
Oh, yeah, that's disgusting. Pro-anorexia. Yeah. Yeah. That's hard, hard shit to see, too. Yeah, I don't really care to. Well, it's important, though, because I think, uh, not the pro-ana movement, but it's important to see, I think, uh, when it comes to anorexia, the effects of anorexia and how the people who suffer from it, uh, how their brains don't. They match up with reality. They don't see they just themselves don't see it. Yeah. as everybody else does. And until you see the effects, uh, the terrible, heart-wrenching effects of anorexia, you, you can't really understand how out of sync that brain is. And it's it's terrifying. Brains, I mean, I've said it before, brains. Brains are terrifying and they lie. Um, the internet is filled with all kinds of unexplained and unsolved mysteries. The first of the internet's greatest mysteries is one that's called Markovian Parallax Denigrate. Back in 96, when the internet was just sort of trans transitioning into the system that we know today, um, a series of highly nonsensical cryptic messages flooded many of the discussions on Usenet with the subject line, Markovian Parallax Denigrate. Um, many believed that it was encoded messages with possible ties to the uh, to Soviet Union. Their origins have never been discovered, so nobody knows. Then there's also the Sakata 3301 mystery. It's a series of increasingly difficult and highly enigmatic cryptographic puzzles that were first seen in 2012. Sakata's self-stated goal was the recruitment of highly, quote, highly intelligent individuals. And the codes in the cryptic uh, puzzles simply became so complex, they required the collaboration of many people. Solving the puzzle only led to a website on the Tor network, again, which existed only for a short amount of time before it was deactivated. It was rumored that uh, those who completed the puzzles were contacted, questioned about their beliefs regarding freedom of information, and then invited into a private forum for further discussion. Uh, some say it was a test by the NSA to recruit only the brightest minds in cybersecurity and, and cryptography. Oh, it kind of sounds like internet Toynbee tiles. Yeah, it, it kind of, yes. Nobody really knows what it's all about, but it looks like there's some intelligent design behind it. That's neat. Then we get to... Mariana's web. This is supposed to be one of the deepest, deepest parts of the web. The idea of Mariana's web surfaced. Oh, like the Mariana's web. Yes, trench. yes. <laughs> it surfaced after unverified infographics circulated that showed the internet is comprised of five separate levels. Again, I, like I said, there are those who say there are eight, each requiring more complex mechanisms of security to get to. Level five is what this infographic uh, calls Mariana's web. That means that the Mariana's web would offer incredibly private security and network control. The argument goes that such a network, which by design would be semi-public and accessible by invitation only, would be the most secure layer of the web. All the members would be vigorously vetted. Mm -hmm. And because it is completely private, intrusions and attacks would nearly be impossible. <laughs> You think so, until I get Matthew Lillard on my side. <laughs> 90s computer movie joke. Mariana's web is allegedly one of the most hidden places on the interwebs. 
which contains sites one wouldn't be able to see anywhere else, deeper than the dark web. Illicit trade, other questionable exchanges occur. Mariana's web is the supposed location of highly confidential secrets to which only the most powerful governments in the world have access, including files from the Vatican. Mm. And information about the location of Atlantis is one of the theories. Oh, yeah. yeah. They want to keep that secret. Sure. Way um, down below the ocean. Now, while you do need a special browser to access the dark web, theorists say that only quantum computers can access Mariana's web. It's unclear if uh, these Mariana's web theories are founded. It's possible there's some truth to this uh Digital enigma, if you will. Many people, especially uh, people who are in um, cybersecurity, say, no, nah, it's not real. It doesn't really exist. But they wouldn't want you to know if it was, wouldn't they? <laughs> That's how I feel about it. And it's not easy to uh, to get access. You need first to access. Uh, you have to have knowledge of a complicated algorithm. And then, of course, quantum computers. Hey, Siri, Google Mariana's Web. Okay. I found this on the web for Mariana's Web. Check it out. Oh, yeah. I can get a great deal on Gap Jeans. <laughs> Is there a promo code? <laughs> promo code box. So when the idea of Mariana's Web was first circulated, quantum computing was still in its infancy. It was just being talked about. No quantum computers officially existed, but um, the lack of, av of availability seems to be part of what the allure is. It said that only the most powerful governments in the world have the quantum computers necessary, and therefore they're the only ones that can access Mariana's web. Mm. Quantum computing, at its core, it's pretty simple. The concept's pretty simple. It's um, the execution that is problematic. Again, according to Ranker, non-quantum computers rely on binary code consisting of ones and zeros. Quantum computing, on the other hand, extends that definition to say that an object can be one and a zero at the same time, which allows quantum computers to calculate algorithms exponentially faster than any currently existing technology. This was confirmed in 2015 that the existence of quantum uh, computers exists, a partnership between Google and NASA, and I think it was um, the Universal Space Research Associ Association. But the only way to run a quantum computer is by placing it in an extreme environment. Its CPU can only run in a vacuum whose pressure is like 10 billion times lower than that of the Earth's atmosphere. The vacuum must be at a temperature of 0.015 degrees above absolute zero. Mm. So it is not an easy thing to do. And uh, there are the instructions, though, if you want to build one at home. Sure. So one theory is Mariana's Web is just all fabricated on purpose. It's an urban legend. Uh, some cybersecurity experts uh, have delved into the history and the myth of Mariana's Web. They say um, that what they've uncovered suggests that it is a, uh, a distraction for something else. Oh. Former believer in Mariana's Web discovered that the engineers of the disinformation campaign were outed hackers blackmailed by the FBI into spreading rumors about a supposed extra layer on the web. They were forced to create this myth of Mariana's Web to distract people from the takedown of black markets on the Tor network like the Silk Road. Uh, that sounds highly conspiratorial to me. Well, maybe that story was leaked as misinformation. <laughs> I'm so confused. 
One of the rumors about Mariana's web that I, I find this, this fascinating, it's run by an enigmatic and powerful artificial intelligence system, and it's said to be an AI that acts as the Internet's all-seeing matron, controlling information and monitoring uh, remote systems. Some have even gone as far as to say that Mariana's web is the AI itself. It sounds very the great and powerful Oz, if you ask me. <laughs> <laughs> However, it's commonly felt that artificial intelligence, uh, even though it's existed since the 1950s in some form or another, has yet to reach that level of complexity, much less self-awareness. I love the idea of there being some sort of man behind the curtain, or in this case, artificial intelligence. The, I love the idea. I wouldn't love it if it was real. Right. But it would make a great movie. <laughs> in fact, it's probably made several already. But my point is... Don't go tootling about on the dark web. Mm, no. And don't look up Red Room, whatever you do. What's Red Room? Look it up. No. You look up Lemon Party. I'm not falling for that again. And now, that thing in the middle. We have had some long, very serious discussions about where our priorities lie mm -hmm. when uh, we are called to meet our maker, uh, when we are joining the choir eternal when we're pushing up the daisies where will our things go where we're snoozing six deep that's right mm. um and i uh, am very enthusiastic about the idea of giving everything to our dogs and you're like <laughs> but i have children and i'm like oh in that spirit I want to talk about some of the most amazing pet inheritances ever. Inheritances? The, Inher sure, that sounds right. It tenses. We, we talked about Leona Helmsley not long ago. She left like $12 million for her dog. Yep. Yeah, so it's in that kind of vein that you're... Okay. Exactly. You go first. Number five, Miles Blackwell. They... Uh, Miles Blackwell and his wife had a track record of caring for animals. They actually established the Tubney Charitable Trust in 1997 to protect farm critters. And after uh, they died, they left $10 million to their chickens. What? You know. That's some serious scratch. <laughs> farm animal joke. Yeah. Michael Jackson left $2 million to his chimp Bubbles. Payable upon his death. That seems right. I'm wondering if Bubbles had something to do with Michael's death now. Ooh. Mm. Seems suspicious. British antique dealer Ben Ray would have died in relative obscurity in 1988 had he not endowed almost his entire estate to Blackie, the lone remaining feline from a group of 15, along with other pet charities. Uh, that was an estate of $12.5 million. Number two, Gail Posner left $11 million to her cute little chihuahua, Conchita. Also, her Yorkshire Terrier, Lucia, and April May, her Maltese. They had to split it, though. Ugh. You know. Tacky. Yeah. Then a lawsuit was filed by Posner's estranged son, alleging that uh, she was unduly influenced by the house wait staff when she bestowed $3 million in trust funds and her $8 million mansion to her dogs, 
who presently ride to their pet spa each week in a gold Escalade, lending some credence to the lawsuit is the $27 million that the staff received after Posner's death in 2010. There might have been a little, you know, uh, house staff shenanigans going on behind the scenes there. Sure. Yeah. And number one, Carlotta Liebenstein uh, bequest, I don't know how to use that word, bequeathed? Bequeathed? Left. Carlotta Liebenstein left $80 million to Gunther IV, her German shepherd, who also bought her house. So I don't know how that worked. I don't know. That sounds like some sort of real estate scam to me. I think you're being a little rough. (laughs) You're you're barking (laughs) on the The Box of Oddities with Kat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth. I've got to tell you, the longer we've had our aura frame, the more I love it. I have kids, and they live about 3,000 miles away, and my daughter is expecting a child, and she has been sending me updates on her baby bump through the aura frame. And since I can't be there to experience it with her, it's the next best thing. And speaking of mothers, if you're looking for the perfect gift to celebrate your mom in your life, Aura Frames are beautiful Wi-Fi connected digital picture frames. It allows you to share and display unlimited photos. It's super easy to upload and super easy to share photos with the Aura app. And here's the thing, if you're giving Aura as a gift, you can even personalize the frame with preloaded photos and memories. We love Aura Frames and living so far away from family, thanks to Aura, it's the next best thing. It's like, it's like almost being there. And right now, Aura has a great deal for Mother's Day. Box of Oddities freaks can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 off, plus free shipping on their best-selling frame. That's A-U-R-A-Frames.com. Use code Oddities at checkout to save. That's A-U-R-A-Frames.com and use code Oddities at checkout, and you will save. Thanks, Aura Frames, for bringing my family a little bit closer. This message is sponsored by Greenlight. You know, as your kids get older, there are some things about parenting that gets easier. I remember once hearing my sister tell my little niece, if you put your pants on, I'll give you some fresca. And when kids can start to reason that they get something, if they do something right, it's a lot easier to manage them. Having that conversation about money with your kids, that's not the easiest thing in the world. Fact is, kids won't really know how to manage their money until they're actually in charge of it. And that's where Greenlight can help. Greenlight is a debit card and money app made just for families. Parents can send money to their kids and keep an eye on the kids' spending and savings. While kids and teens build money confidence and lifelong financial literacy skills. Your kids will learn how to save, invest, and spend wisely thanks to the games that teach kids skills in a fun, accessible way. When I was a kid, I had expected chores, and then I had bonus chores. And bonus chores were where I earned money. And so if you're thinking like, hey, my kids should be doing stuff around the house. Yeah, no, you're not wrong. But maybe there's extra ways that they can learn how to be a successful financial money person. What was one of the bonus chores that you had to do? (sighs) Rub my mom's feet. And what did that pay? I don't know, like a quarter or something. Millions of parents and kids are learning about money on Greenlight. It's the easy, convenient way for parents to raise financially smart kids and families to navigate their life together. Sign up for Greenlight today and get your first month 
free when you go to greenlight.com slash oddities. That's greenlight.com slash oddities to try Greenlight for free. Greenlight.com slash oddities. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. This is the Box of Oddities. I said box. All right, more coincidences in the freaks' lives involving the Box of Oddities. This came in uh, literally an hour and a half ago. (laughs) Alice writes, holy shit. I'm at work on break with my fellow freak, Lynn, listening to your latest and doing the first crossword puzzle I've done in ages that a client happened to drop off for us. At 12.20, I solve 71 across. The hint is tub spread. I write the word oleo, just as Kat says, oleo, and then continues to say it's often found in crossword puzzles. Lynn and I just looked at each other across the table with our mouths agape, and she has sent screenshots to prove it. This is unreal. And I... (sighs) Thanks, Dad. Thanks for helping Lynn with her crossword puzzle. (laughs) (laughs) That's crazy. I love it. This is turning into a thing. This is going to be called like the box of oddities effect. <laughs> is it? Where people who listen to the box of oddities start experiencing synchronicities and odd coincidences that only can be explained by the common thread of they all listen to the box of oddities. That may, yeah, it's already happening. Interesting. <laughs> but you can only find details about it on the Mariana web. What you got for me? What, what you, what, what you, what you got for me? What? What what you got for me? Okay. Yeah. The Jameson family lived in Eufaula, Oklahoma in 2009. It was Bobby, Sherry Lynn, and daughter Madison. Sherry Lynn's son from a previous relationship, his name was Colton. That's a cool name. Colton didn't live with Bobby, Sherry Lynn, and Madison, uh, but, you know, he's part of the family nonetheless. Okay. So after not hearing from the Jamesons, For a couple of days, family reached out to authorities and they started an investigation. Police searched the home and found no signs of the family or their dog, Maisie. Eight days later, their pickup truck was found in Red Oak. That's about a one-hour drive from their Eufaula home. There was no sign of distress or a struggle, and the vehicle wasn't crashed, but what was left inside led authorities to believe that it was possible that the family didn't leave the truck willingly or had not intended to be gone for long. Inside the car were Bobby and Sherry Lynn's wallets, IDs, mobile phones, a GPS, maps, and around $32,000 in cash. Whoa. Maisie was also in the truck. The puppy. The puppy. After eight days, terribly malnourished, uh-huh. but alive. On Bobby's phone is the last known picture of Madison, uh, believed to have been taken the day that the family went missing. So a large search of the area was conducted with the help of volunteers and horses and cadaver dogs and helicopters. And there were no clues to the location of the missing family. 
no idea where they've gone. Neither Bobby nor Sherry Lynn had a job at the time of their disappearance, and both were receiving disability checks. As you know, though, disability checks don't get you $32,000 in cash. No, rarely does that happen, I would think. Yeah. Um, In 2003, Bobby was in a car accident, left him with chronic back pain. Uh, He took medication for that. Um, So where did the the money come from, and where was the family? Was it an insurance settlement for the car crash, maybe? No. So looking into their lives, police only found more questions. At the Jameson's Eufaula home, they had a large storage container sitting on their property, and written on it were various odd phrases, including three cats killed to date by people in this area. Witches don't like their black cat killed. (laughs) Sherry Lynn had written this on a container in response to her neighbors. She thought that they had poisoned her cats. Reportedly, the Jameson family had been planning on moving. They wanted to buy a 40-acre plot of land in Red Oak, where their car had been found, um, move a storage container there, and live in it. So, lots of questions. Some people believe that the Jameson's deaths are uh, just an unfortunate case of dying from exposure. They went out to look at the property that they were thinking of buying and uh, got lost and died in the woods. Uh, But a lot of things don't really make sense if that's the case. Not only do authorities believe that they were forced out of their truck, but the Jamesons also left everything in their vehicle. Um, Also, Bobby had the back pain from that car accident, which made it very unlikely that he would opt to go for a three-mile walk. Sure. No, that's probably not not high on his list of uh, daily priorities. Oddly, though, Sherry Lynn's son, Colton, uh, who had been with the family just weeks before their disappearance, had no idea that they were planning on moving, that they were looking into buying land and moving this storage container there and living there. Uh, There was no conversation about that at all. Hmm. So four years later, it's November 16th, 2013, and hunters stumble upon the partial skeletal remains of two adults and one child. Uh Uh-oh. Uh, It's less than three miles away from where the family's pickup had been abandoned. The remains were widely presumed to be those of the missing family, and the Oklahoma Medical Examiner's Office uh, used forensic testing to identify them. Officials did confirm on July 3rd, 2014, that the remains belonged to the Jamesons. Due to the state of decomp, though, the cause of death could not be determined. So police went back to the case. Police uncovered a very strange security video taken outside the Jameson home the night that they left. In the video, the couple is seen going back and forth between the house and the truck, packing up their belongings. Analysis of the video suggests that the couple was in a very strange state. They didn't appear to be talking, but they do stop and stare at each other at various times throughout the 20, at least, trips back and forth from the truck. In some instances, it appears that they're taking the same items back and forth from the truck. And then just stopping and staring at each other and not saying anything. Yeah. Wow. Sometimes they're taking trips back and forth to the truck and not taking any items at all. Hmm. Um, Sherilyn is also seen putting a brown briefcase in the truck, and that briefcase has never been found. So some believe that this bizarre behavior was intentional to confuse the spirits. 
So during the initial investigation before the bodies were found, the family's pastor, Gary Brandon, told police that the Jamesons had been involved in what he called spiritual warfare. Both Bobby and Sherry Lynn claimed to have seen spirits in their home, belonging to a family who died there long ago. Daughter Madison claimed to speak to a spirit of a child who died in the house. And Bobby asked his pastor for, quote unquote, special bullets to shoot the spirits with and claimed that he consulted a satanic Bible to exercise the property. Okay. All right. This is getting weird. Sherry Lynn would leave notes around the house that would say things like, get out, Satan. And was researching whether the house was built on a Native American burial ground. Sherilyn's mother believes that her family fell victim to witchcraft of a religious cult. Connie claims that a portion of Oklahoma is known for harboring cults and, quote, stuff like that. And was told that Sherilyn was on a cult's hit list, but wasn't able to provide any further details about what kind of cult, how Sherilyn got involved, why she might be on their hit list... Some believe that the truckloading behavior was due to drugs. In the months leading up to the family's disappearance, Bobby and Sherry Lynn's behavior was reported by many people as being a bit unusual. According to acquaintances, the two adults seemed to look emaciated, and mm. some people claimed that they would regularly carry around large amounts of cash with them. Well, those are a couple of warning signs. Yeah. Also, the isolated mountains of that area are known for being a problematic spot in Oklahoma, particularly for drug-related activities, namely having many meth labs. Okay. Both Bobby and Sherry Lynn reportedly suffered from bouts of depression, and uh, Sherry Lynn's depression deepened after the death of her sister two years prior to their disappearance. Sherry Lynn was devastated after her sister died, um, and she was diagnosed as being bipolar mm -hmm. and would frequently stop taking her medication. Okay. But despite all of this, authorities found no evidence of either Bobby or Sherry Lynn taking or dealing any kind of drugs. But then again, they could not uh, do any type of drug testing on the on the corpses because it, of the decomp. That's correct. So they don't know whether or not they were... Right, but they had access to their truck and to their home. Sure, sure. So you, you'd think you'd be able to find some sort of evidence of mm -hmm. some sort of drug shagananery. Shagananery? Sh sh shenanigannery? I've heard it both ways. Okay. Bobby had worked for many years at his father's gas station for free. His father had told him that when he was older, he would make him half owner of the gas station. He'd reap, you know, the profits, mm -hmm. halvesies, halvesies. Uh, but when he was older, uh, his father did not fulfill that promise. And months before his disappearance, Bobby had sued his father, Bob Dean Jameson, for $10,000. Bobby had also filed a restraining order against his father, claiming that the 67-year-old man was a danger to his family. He claimed that his father was constantly threatening his family and that he tried to kill him twice, once on November 1st, 2008, by hitting him with his car, and then again in late April of 2009, again trying to hit him with his car. Moreover, Bobby's dad was accused of being involved with gangs and meth. Some even say the Mexican mafia. Well, I think one thing we can safely say based on this information is that uh, this was a dysfunctional family. For sure. Starlet Jameson, who was Bobby's dad's wife, uh, he had recently divorced after 40 years of marriage. Uh, she stayed with Bobby and Sherry Lynn shortly before they went missing. And she attested to the fact that Bob Dean, 
the father, was threatening the family, so much so that they installed those security cameras Uh in their home, the security cameras that the police found that video on. Bobby Dean's brother, though, doesn't believe that he's guilty. Uh, He was sick at the time of the disappearance, and uh, authorities couldn't really find any connection there. But there are some theories that he hired other people to kill the family. Apart from Bobby suing his father, the Jamisons were also suing three other people over a car accident in 2005. Also, they were taking legal action against Madison's school. They had taken her out of school. They were going to start homeschooling, and they were suing the school. Okay. For why, I don't know. There are other theories. A detective working on the case characterized the family as being, quote, obsessed with death. And in the abandoned pickup truck, authorities discovered an 11-page hate letter written by Sherry Lynn addressed to Bobby. Now, I know that marriage can be a rough thing, (laughs) but if you're writing an 11-page letter about how much you hate your spouse... There's some issues that need to be dealt with. For sure. Uh, hmm. Another letter was found at the couple's home that mentions uh, death. Uh, in what manner, I'm not, I'm not entirely sure. Uh, but that was referenced by the detective who said that the family was just obsessed with death. So it's speculated that it's possible it may have been a murder-suicide situation. Bobby's skull was found with a hole in it. But they don't know what that hole came from. So it's suspected if this theory was correct, that Sherry Lynn had shot Bobby, shot their child, and then killed herself. Sherry Lynn was known to own a 22 caliber pistol that she kept under the driver's seat of her vehicle. And that gun has never been found. And there was no shell casings or weapons found near the bodies. No. Well, that would lead me to believe that uh, that wasn't the case. You would think that anybody with a metal detector would be able to find something. Well, it had been four years between their disappearance and their bodies being discovered. A lot of things can happen. Squirrels. Squirrels. Squirrels are known to gather discarded weaponry. So so after years of investigation, uh, the crazy media coverage and uh, lots of interviews, of course, police still don't have any answers. There are some people who are not convinced that the family is dead. Some speculate that Bobby, Sherry Lynn, and Madison are now actually part of the U.S. Federal Witness Protection Program and that their quote-unquote murder was a way to fake their deaths uh, to get them into a safe space. Huh. Well, if it's a federal program, they don't usually use, like, other people's bodies and stuff, do they? I don't know. I don't Um, know. That sounds pretty far-fetched to me. Other theories uh, include that the family was out looking at the land that they were thinking of buying and stumbled across a drug deal and that they were murdered because of that. Okay. As I said, uh, the being out and dying of exposure was a theory, uh, but so much just didn't line up there, including the fact that the bodies were all found side by side, face down. People just don't die that way. Yeah, maybe it's it was a drug deal. Maybe maybe they didn't stumble across it. Maybe they did, but maybe they were there as part of the drug deal and something went awry. A family member did report that a few weeks before they disappeared, 
the family member had overheard a conversation where Bobby had said he knew a way to get some money mm-hmm. and that they couldn't talk about it in front of other people. So it did sound like maybe there was some shadies going on. Mm. They obviously had explored other avenues of getting money in the past. But so, there was 32 grand in the truck. That's correct. Huh. Yeah. Let's put this together. So let's assume mm-hmm. that they were going there to make a drug deal. Okay. And they had 32000 in their possession. Okay. What chain of events would have to occur for this final outcome to have taken place? They're three miles from the truck. Mm-hmm. They don't have the cash. They've been, it, it appears, executed, right? They're mm-hmm. all face down. Bobby's got a bullet hole in his head or what could be a bullet hole. Maybe they had initiated some sort of drug buy and um, went to meet for that drug buy and left the money at the car thinking that was some sort of safety net. Mm. Like, do you have the drugs? Okay, right. show me the drugs and then we'll get you the money, that kind of thing. Maybe someone got spooked. I don't know. I don't know. Why would you take your child to a drug deal? It's important for young people to have a vocation in mind at an early age. Listen, I know that a lot of people make different choices than I would make, but especially if I was not familiar with drug dealing, mm-hmm. um, and it didn't seem like they were, mm. I certainly would have found a babysitter for that night. Yeah, I think that's probably wise. I don't know. That's weird. The uh, local sheriff, Israel Beauchamp, the lead investigator at the time, he actually ended up quitting his job in 2011. And it's said that he quit because he felt guilty and not about not being able to find the little girl's killer. Mm. He had a child that was the same age, a yeah. little girl the same age, and couldn't handle that it. That would mess with your head. And moved overseas. Now, some people see that as being a suspicious maneuver. Like, I'm sad too, but I don't move to Ireland, you know? Now, that's not to say maybe he'd always wanted to move to Ireland, and so this was just a good time because he was super sad. I don't know. Maybe he just needed to flail his shillelagh. Now, he didn't actually move to Ireland. It just said overseas. I don't know which country he moved to. It should also be said that Maisie, Madison's dog, who survived that eight days in uh, the truck with no food or water was adopted by Bobby's mother. and Well, that's good anyway. Yeah. So um, that's the only uh, positive resolution to this story. <laughs> what happened to the 32 grand? I don't know. It's probably in a police lockup somewhere. Okay. I'm going to have to put my thinking cap on for this. Um, where did that term thinking cap come from? Sorry, I don't I don't want to get distracted. Um, yeah, none of that adds up. Nope. Okay. Then I have to go with alien abduction. But they were found. <laughs> Probably not alien abduction. Bigfoot ate them. I don't know. I got to think about it. Yeah, it's a tragedy and crazy confusing. And there are so many layers to it. And when I was putting this together, I was like, oh, I can't forget about the dead cats thing. And oh, I can't forget about the weird video. And oh, did I mention the satanic Bible that they found in their house? Mm. Yeah, there's so much. So much. Well, I know what I'll be reading up on in bed tonight. Right? Yeah. Um, there's some really interesting threads on Reddit uh, regarding this case. And if you want to spend yeah. a couple hours lost in a rabbit hole. Well, why is it that whenever we come across a case like this that's unsolved, I have this undying urge to want to solve it? Well, because of course you want to solve it. I mean, it's terrible. To the point where I will probably try to do that on my Kindle tonight. I know. And the chances of me solving this on my Kindle, probably not great. 
But I'm going to try. Banjo. Oh, pug snortles. Yeah. I figured I owed it to them. And to me. Sorry. <laughs> oh, yeah. I always feel better with little banjo pug snortle. Oh, man. You've gained weight. Okay. Well, let's just end it there. Okay. Because because I've, I've got to grab my Kindle and solve this uh, crime. So, you guys... Thanks so much for hanging out with us and send us all of your bizarre coincidences involving the box of oddities because this is becoming a thing. Maybe we'll do a book. You know, we've just had so many of these weird things. Anyway. Um, Also, we've just discovered that we're not going to Nashville uh, to Zanies to see Jim Harold's campfire on the 24th as expected. Was that the date? Yeah. It has been moved to August. August 12th, I think. I don't know. Anyway, we're going to go whenever it happens. And we'll keep you posted on any upcoming shows that we may have uh, probably sometime. We'll probably go back out on the road sometime this summer. We hope to see you at one of them. Yeah. And until then, keep flying that freak flag. Fly it proudly, you beautiful freak. And so, let it be known that the box of oddities belongs to you. And its fate is in your hands. Therefore, it's been requested by those to whom I report to beseech you for assistance. We ask but one thing of you, to provide a five-star rating and a positive review. True, that is two things. However, tis merely a five-star rating and a positive review. Also, subscribe to us. Okay, so three things is all we ask. Three things and three things only. Henceforth, the Box of Oddities commits to the telling of stories, stories of the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected. TheBoxOfOddities.com Copyright 2020. All rights reserved. Hi, I'm Neil. And I'm Ken. And we are from the Triviality Podcast, a pub trivia-style game show where a lack of seriousness meets a little bit of knowledge. Join us each week for an hour-long game of general knowledge trivia featuring special guests from around the world, plus tons of extra themed episodes. If you want to improve your trivia game, or you just want to scream at us in your car when we get easy questions wrong, then we're the show for you. Find Triviality on all your favorite podcast apps. But you know that, because you're already listening to a podcast. Hello everyone, Stakuyi here. And I'm Gabby. And we are the hosts of History of Everything, a podcast which you can probably guess by the name is, well, I mean, it's about everything. Do you want to know why people thought potatoes were evil and would give you syphilis? Are you curious about all the stories of the terrible and stupid ways that people have kicked the bucket over the years? Do you want to hear tales about all of the different badasses of history and the lives that they had brought to life? Well, if so, then look no further. History of Everything is just the right podcast for you. It's available on Spotify, Pandora, and anywhere else that you get your podcast from. Join us for some fun and just see how weird and wacky history can be.